This episode of Radio Techers is brought to you in part by Trip Surfer Vacations. Travel is opening up again, and we know you're ready to go. Trip Surfer Vacations has great all-inclusive packages for your next beach vacation and all the info you need to know about your next trip. So whether you're headed to the Cancun, Cozumel, Cabo, or the Caribbean, Trip Surfer Vacations has you guys covered. We even have partnerships for European adventures as well. So we know you're ready to go. Visit TripSurferVacations.com and let them know that Radio Techers sent you. Y'all have fun out there. Welcome to Nitro Nights, a WCW Look Back podcast. My name is Sai, and joining me, as always, as we trudge our way through the highs and the lows, the plus points and the bad points to WCW from the very, very first episode of Nitro, right the way through to the very last, taking in every single stop on the way, is the wrestling encyclopedia himself, the always informative and always excellent Mr. Scottish Danny, how are we doing today, sir? Merry Christmas, Si. I'm doing really Merry well, thank Christmas, you. How are you? <laughs> <laughs> Merry Christmas, you Danny. Yeah, I'm good, mate. Christmas Brilliant. in poor. What are we in? We're gonna be in we're gonna be in June by the time this comes out, aren't we? So Christmas in June for us. <laughs> this week's episode of Monday Nitro coming from Augusta in Georgia. Not live. It was pre-recorded last, well, the week before, so to speak. So last week's Nitro was live. This was recorded the same place, same night. And it is broadcast on Christmas night, 1995. Raw was not broadcast at all on that evening. So that got a big fat zero in the ratings, obviously. To Nitro's 2.5, which is quite a, I think, respectable figure. Looking at the recent ratings figures. And then, obviously, wrestling fans who might wanted to have watched Raw may have checked out Nitro and so on. Nitro's share hasn't gone up, potentially, with no Raw. But at the same time, it's held a decent number. So I think they can be fairly happy with that. Uh, Danny, what do you reckon? Yeah, definitely. Especially on the night it was broadcast Christmas, you you would think it would be quite lower. But I guess a lot of people were in on a Monday night Christmas, weren't they? I guess. I guess. And Christmas night wrestling as well historically it's always been it was always a big night anyway back in the territory days places like houston and world class in texas and so on they would run a christmas night show and it would be it'd be huge it'd be one of their biggest nights of the year at the gate and so on i suppose similar to thanksgiving was the same thanksgiving always night was always quite uh, lucrative i suppose quite uh quite the money maker quite the money spinner for these territory uh days that the company is there putting on events Christmas night and Thanksgiving night. I, I guess it's that whole adage of, you know, Christmas for me. You, you, you spend morning with the family, you have Christmas dinner, you sit around and watch a bit of telly. Come the evening, you are kind of a bit bored and fed up, isn't you? So that's probably why everyone everyone used to leave their house in the old days and go out and watch the wrestling, I, I guess, Danny. 
<laughs> yeah, it totally is. I mean, it would happen um, where, like, in our house growing up, it would be uh, EastEnders would be the equivalent of the wrestling because there would always be a brawl on EastEnders. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. <laughs> EastEnders was, but going way back, EastEnders, Christmas EastEnders was always a big deal to our house as well. Uh, but it got to a point where we'd all be around my mum's and... I mean, it's not my cup of tea, but my sister is massively into it, as was my mum and so on. So they'd have to record it in their separate houses because you couldn't watch it together because everyone would be talking and then they'd get their air off at each other. So they'd record it at their separate houses and you weren't allowed to turn over to the BBC in case you caught a bit of EastEnders and ruined it for them. I mean, my, my big thing recently at Christmas has been Christmas Doctor Who, but obviously that's not happened the last couple of years, but the Christmas Day Doctor Who episode has been my, my highlight, I guess. No, that's pretty cool. Um, so I'm excited to see what WCW had for us on Christmas. Well, yeah. I mean, if you actually just look through the card, some of the names that are on this card, just, you know, just glancing at them before we get into the matches, for example. Scotty Riggs, uh, Big Bubba, uh, I mean, Gene is all over the place and so on. You're kind of looking at it and thinking, okay, it's not, maybe not that strong a show, but you've also got Luger there. You've also got Sting there. And then we've also obviously got the main event of Savage versus Flair. But it's those guys who I suppose aren't maybe wrestlers who who, who sort of garner a lot of spotlight in the likes of Scotty Riggs and Big Bubba that are kind of the unsung heroes for me on this episode of Nitro. Yeah, um, I, I definitely agree because um, it was like... It wasn't. They wasn't just throwing like the riffraff out there, were they? They kind of had everyone else. Like there was like, even though this was taped the week before, it was really good that they still gave the effort in by giving a world championship match. Um, mm. I remember, I think it was about five years ago. Raw did a Christmas episode live, and it was a big controversy because you had wrestlers' wives tweeting out that they were angry and. And things like that. So I was glad to see that WSW did a lot better by pre-recording it. Yeah, Matt Hardy's wife, I think, was one, wasn't she? But yeah, and she is quite she is quite outspoken. Let's be honest. Yeah, just a little bit. Yeah, just a just a touch. <laughs> uh, we start the show with our usual trio of Bobby Heenan, Eric Bischoff, and Mongo, welcoming us to this episode of Nitro, wishing us a Merry Christmas. Bischoff is sporting a lovely Christmas jumper. And with Mongo, we have Santa Pepe, don't we? And he, he's dressed yeah. up in his little Christmas gear, the little dog looking looking as happy as he always does to be sat on Mongo's lap there. I wonder how much budget went into that dog's costumes. <laughs> I like to think that Mongo actually just bought them himself and no one knew this was going to happen. And even Eric Bischoff was in the dark about what Mongo was going to be dressed as, you know? It, and afterwards, yeah. Bischoff would... Afterwards, Bischoff would go mad and be like, why'd you dress him like that this week? He doesn't fit into our storylines and stuff like that. Pepe yeah, breaking kayfabe. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, <laughs> Pepe gets more airtime than some of the wrestlers, doesn't he? Well, this is true. This is true. I mean, let, for a start, let's have a little look back over the last couple of weeks. Uh, you've got your world champion, who's been on television quite a bit, fair play. But where is our television champion? Where is our United States champion? You know, barring the one-off match that was spoilt by Sherry and Colonel Parker, where have our tag team champions been over the last month? I don't know where. Saturday night. Well, there you go. <laughs> our opener, and we do literally go to the ring very, very early in the show. Our opener is the aforementioned Scotty Riggs of the American Males tag team here in singles action against Lex Luger, who like a lot of WCW wrestlers at this time has a very generic, almost stock music kind of entrance theme. But because he's been so dominant in the last few weeks and been on television and pay-per-views for the last you know month to six weeks, this has sort of become a bit of an earworm for me. And I find myself walking around at work today, literally going, and it's just in my head. And I'm thinking, what is that? What is that music? And it weren't until I put the episode of Nitro on today for our record that I realized, Shit, I've been singing Lex Luger's generic bloody entrance theme all around work all day today. Oh, that is brilliant. Um, <laughs> that, um, yeah, that that is, I think that does come from the Turner Music Library because I saw it once 
there's a DVD I have of Judgment Day 2002, and it actually appears on an advert um, promoting, I think, Get the F Out, because they were doing it around that time. And when I heard that, I just lost my mind. I said, oh, my God, that's the theme song. So, yeah, but that theme to me is a perfect babyface theme song. What do you think about it, Si? Yeah, I mean, it, it is very... <sighs> It is very generic, isn't it? It is very stock music-esque, you know, like you said, fr- from from the music library, so to speak. It's like as well when you go w- when you go on these websites that give you copyright free music and you're looking, you know, as as a as a podcaster yourself, content creator, or, or whatever the term may be, you look at these websites trying to find music for your own shows or your own uh your, your own skits or jingles or whatever. And they all do have that kind of very sort of generic meh kind of sound to them that's what a lot of the music in wcw sounds like it does doesn't it but um i mean they're very generic as you said very upbeat but they're going to get a lot better in the coming years yes yes uh scotty riggs is already in the ring sporting his lovely white disco shoes i suppose and (laughs) it's quite a look as we mentioned the other week luger comes out with no pyro and I think the pyro this week on Nitro is something they just couldn't quite get right. We have an issue with Sting later on in the show, whereas pyro is not timed quite right. Uh, Luger does his usual sort of flex where you'd expect there to be some pyro, and then his big sort of pose where more pyro would go off, and it doesn't happen at all. You know, there's nothing. But I mean, Lex and Jimmy Hart, fair play, they, they know sell it. I don't even know if they notice, to be fair. And they make their way to the ring. And then we start getting talk of our main event this evening. Macho Man Randy Savage defending the WCW World Heavyweight title against Ric Flair, who is going for his 12th world title. Now, that is, you know, 1995. That's pretty spectacular. 12 world titles, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, when I heard that, I thought, wow, he, he was a 16 time champion. So he'd won the other amount in those short years, a short amount of years, which is uh, five, no, six years. Um, mm. Yeah. So I was quite shocked uh, that. Um, I do remember um, uh, before this, uh, he had. I think he'd been the champion in ninety, early ninety five, wasn't he? Um, Hogan beat him for the championship, didn't he? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Ninety four. Well, that was Bash at the Beach ninety four, and obviously he he had various title reigns in in eighty nine, going way back to the early eighties. You know, the original Starcade and, and the second Starcade he headlined with the world title, and that's sort of, you know eighty three, eighty four, eighty five kind of time. Flair was always around the world title picture then as well. So yeah, but even at this stage in nineteen ninety five, a very long. Uh, glittered career, I guess, full of world titles and other championships as well, to be fair. What are your thoughts on Flair this week, as we record, not as we release, obviously, but this week kind of announcing at the age of 73, he's going to come back for one more match? I was shocked, but not shocked as well, because there is a episode of TNA Impact I watched not too long ago where he made this quote. He said... I would rather die. I'm either going to die in the ring or on top of a woman. So it looks like he's trying to make it happen. <laughs> but, well, um, hopefully the first one. <laughs> yes. <laughs> when you say he's trying to make it happen, hopefully the first one. Nobody wants to see the second one televised. <laughs> well, nobody, nobody probably wants to see the first one televised, to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> no no absolutely not no but um he uh yeah i i think he's absolutely crazy but vince mcmahon uh had a match this year so i mean anything can happen can't it and um, what do you think about it si? i know you're a big rick flair fan yeah i mean i'm kind of torn it's kind of literally from a nostalgia standpoint i was excited because I'd seen the videos of Ric Flair working out in the ring with, I think Jay Lethal was in the one video with him and, and he was backdropping him and, and all this. And Flair looked good. Granted, you can, you know, you can make a highlights package out of anything and make any little video look good and so on. But what we saw, Flair looked good. And I, you know, I'm looking and I'm thinking, is he training for another match? And then of course the rumors start happening and so on. That intrigued me. And then, I mean, part of me was like, don't do it, Rick, for crying out loud. Another part of me, again, I suppose the kid in me was very much like, yay, one of my favourites going to wrestle again, I suppose. Then I heard it was going to be part of a six-man tag. And I thought, okay, I'm on board with that because he can tag in and out as he pleases. He can take a couple of bumps 
Um, with a Ric Flair match now at the age of 73, all I want to see is I, I want to hear the music. I want to see Flair walk to the ring in the robe, pose a bit. And I just want, I just want to see him throw a few chops, go woo a few times, maybe poke someone in the eye, kick someone in the balls, you know, uh, maybe take a backdrop. And then that'd be that kind of thing. That's all. I just want to see the hits. You know, that's that's kind of all I need to see. Now, if it's part of a six-man tag, you can get away with that. You can do that. And, and you can book this. I mean, at the day, Bret Hart came back, obviously much younger. But Bret Hart's medical condition meant he's not allowed to wrestle at all. Bret Hart came back, had a couple of matches, and won a championship. Now, granted, it wasn't brilliant in-ring content, but there are ways of doing this kind of thing. And I think with the right people around Flair, it could be good. Now, I'm a little concerned that his, I mean, his partners are supposed to be FTR, aren't they? In the yeah. six-man yes. tag. Now, that that to me is great. These guys can work. They can carry the main uh, the, the main workload, I guess, for their team. The fact that the opposition in the six-man tag is rumoured to be the Rock and Roll Express, who can still, you know, I suppose compared to Flair, are quite young. <laughs> but you, uh, yeah, okay, they're still wrestling matches now and haven't ever really stopped. I'm a little concerned about it being uh, uh, Ricky Morton or Robert Gibson in their mid to late 60s in the ring of a 73-year-old Ric Flair and how that would look. I don't want anyone to be made to look foolish or ha- have, you know, be, be, a, be a mockery to themselves or the business. The fact that they would try to get Steamboat... I'm not going to lie, I'm going to contradict myself now. The fact that they tried to get Steamboat and Steamboat said no, actually, no, I was gutted by that because I thought, okay, seeing Steamboat and Flair tie up one more time, a couple of chops and, and so on, that would have been that would have been amazing. Just for two minutes. That's all, two minutes and then tag out. That, that'll do me, you know? But it'd be interesting to see who, who Rock and Roll Express's tag partner is because I think they're going to be very busy on the night working with FTR and then I think they're going to take the part of trying to work with Flair and, and so on. I mean, Ricky Morton, obviously he had, he headlined a, a, a clash of the champions event. I think it was against Ric Flair for the world title in the eighties. So that'd be an interesting tie up seeing those two go at it. But again, if it's done properly, you know, Flair in the ring for a, a couple of minutes, you know, plays the greatest hits, so to speak, tags back out. I've got no massive issue with that, providing the business and Flair, don't make a mockery of themselves, if that makes sense. Yeah, that totally does. You you never want to look less than, do you? No, no, that's right, that's right. And I just hope that the the memories of Flair being, you know, in my opinion, one of the greatest two wrestlers to ever tie up the boots. I hope they're not tarnished by a performance here that take away from that. I hope, but we'll see. We'll see. I, I'm as a Flair fan and a big WCW and Jim Crockett Promotions and NWA uh, mark, I guess, for want of a better term. It's not a nice term, but there we go. Uh, I'm intrigued by the prospect. Let's put it that way. But yeah, so our opener here, as we said, Luger and Scotty Riggs. Uh, Scotty Riggs starts very quickly, throws quite a few impressive-looking drop kicks. We have a few arm drags thrown in, a few counters to what Luger is doing. Uh, and Riggs here, I think, not even just at the start, Danny, to be fair, but the, the duration of the contest, is allowed to get quite a bit in. I mean, it'd been very easy for Luger, a guy of his stature and his positioning in the company, to basically say, okay, kids, you can do this, you can do this, but then we're going to do this. But it seems to me Riggs got a lot in here and looked quite good because of it. What, what did you think of our opening match here? Yeah, um, I was shocked about how much stuff he was allowed to get in as well. Um, because when this match started, I was thinking, yep, this is going to be a squash. But it really wasn't. Um, the biggest thing that made me, that stood out to me was, um, I didn't know Scotty Riggs was that small in comparison to Lex Luger, who's, Lex Luger's, I think, about 6'4", six, 6'5". Six, but I thought Scotty Riggs was about 6'3", but he wasn't, was he? He was quite smaller than luger no no riggs is quite a small fella yeah i, I say small he's small compared to a, a lex luger shall we say yeah he's never yeah he, he's, he's not exactly a giant i guess but i mean ultimately he, he's put together he, he looks pretty good his ring gear again that american male's outfit i think you know leaves a little bit to be desired shall we say it's not that it's not the greatest appearance to, to ever grace monday nitro even at this early stage but yeah he looks he looks quite good here i think 
he did look good in uh, the offense and things like that. Yeah, I mean, eventually Luger gets frustrated with the fact that he can't he can't really do anything because because Riggs is so quick and obviously quicker than Luger himself. So Luger rolls to the outside, quite frustrated. We get a little bit of action on the outside, and then we get more discussion about the the, the triangle match coming up at Starcade. Now, Starcade is is in two days after this pay per view. Uh, sorry, after this Nitro. This Nitro is the twenty fifth, Christmas Day. Uh, Starcade is the twenty seventh. So we're getting quite a lot of plugs, as you would expect, with this Nitro for the pay per view. And I find that really interesting because the fact that we're getting a Nitro two days before a pay-per-view and obviously nitro being a monday and and the pay-per-view being on a wednesday is unusual i find that dynamic quite interesting and also quite exciting because it was really literally at the forefront of bischoff's mind the whole time he's on commentary and it's literally uh starcade 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 triangle match world title match starcade starcade all the time through this show now in the past that has bothered me but the way it was done on this show i thought worked quite well what are your thoughts, Danny? Yeah, pretty much the same because it makes more sense when you've got one of the guys who's going to be in the triangle match in the ring as well because then you're saying to the audience, oh, you're going to see, you're seeing him here, but you'll see him in two days. It's like they do it a lot today on SmackDown because SmackDown's on a Friday and then the pay-per-views are on yeah, the... Yeah. Oh, sorry, um, premium live events. Let's get it correct. <laughs> um, they're on the Sunday, so they pretty much do the same thing now, which is probably stolen from WCW. Well, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, and they, McMahon is, I mean, always going to promote his shows no matter what, isn't they? But I, I see, I see what you're trying to say. I see what you're trying to say. Um, Riggs eventually starts working Luger's arm, as Eric Bischoff explains. The key in the, the key in the triangle match on the pay per view, is the relationship between Sting and Luger, and this this sort of weird dynamic between Sting and Luger, who keeps saying that they are friends, whereas one sits very firmly in the heel dressing room and sting changes down the road or sorry down the corridor in in the babyface dressing room is still one of the most interesting things on nitro at the moment for me that really odd couple dynamic uh, eventually riggs misses a drop kick luger takes control for a bit riggs has a bit of a fight back we get a pretty decent looking power slam from luger and then he signals for the rack and the crowd the crowd are massively into that again, as we mentioned previously. The crowd are popping for Lex here like he's a babyface. And Lex wins by a submission with, with the torture rack. Um, what, what did you think of the match, the finish, etc.? Really good opener. Um, like, it, like we both said, we thought this was going to be a squash, but it turned out to be an evenly yoked match. Um, and how can you hate the torture rack? It's such a good move, in it? As we've said um, in the past... Yeah, there's a few people who do hate it. There is, I can't remember if it's Mr. Mags. I can't remember, but there is someone we know very, 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 you know, close to us in our in our community and our circles that think the rack is is a piece of crap. But I think when Lex gets it on correctly, it looks quite cool. Yeah, I mean, it's very logical as well because you're like you're you're basically just squeezing the person's entire like back and spine and everything mm. like that. So of course, it's gonna a neck as well. It's, um, it looks very, very painful, especially if you've got these broad shoulders like Lex Luger had. Yeah, yeah, good point. Uh, this match is followed up with our first sighting of Sting. He is on the ramp with Mean Gene. And Gene is asking, what's up with you and Luger? What's the story with you and Luger? And so on. To which Sting gets a little bit fed up with. And I can understand why. So, well, everyone keeps asking me the same question, Gene. Why don't you stop asking? There's nothing to tell you. I'm friends with Luger. That's that. And then they go on to discuss a little bit about the world title picture and so on. Gene, mean Gene, I love. He, he, he's reminds me of my childhood. He was always around on the videotapes I had when I was a kid. And then on some of the events I watched live when I was a kid. Mean Gene is, is obviously a, a huge legend for, for what he did, his role in the business. I can't explain why, but there's something about Mean Gene on this particular episode of Nitro that just pisses me off a little bit. I, I I'm wondering what that is, Si. I don't know. I can't. But by the time Gene came on the television again for the for the last the last time later on in the show, I was thinking, oh mate, I've seen this guy enough now. Which is unusual because normally he doesn't bother, and he's not doing anything maybe different to what he normally would do. I can't put my finger on what it is that's irritated me this particular week. But there's just something I was just like, oh, oh just fuck off, Gene. 
<laughs> you know? I think maybe after this interview, he dons a Christmas hat. Maybe that could be part of it. Uh, okay. So you're basically saying that I, I, I'm a Scrooge. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> maybe, maybe. <laughs> uh, after this little chat on the ramp between Sting and Mean Gene Oakland, we have Sting versus Big Bubba, our next contest. Sting has obviously nipped back to the uh, to the dressing room so that Big Bubba can come out first, and then Sting <laughs> can come straight back out again. Uh, and here, Sting, he seems really happy with his pyro and his lights, doesn't he? His pyro goes off, and he's all excited about that, pointing at where the pyro's come from, with a big smile on his face. Then he's pointing at the floor, and they have the scorpion sort of neon flashing lights, and he's really happy about that as well. It's like he's never seen it before. Yeah, um, I think he was really happy. Maybe he'd got some new Christmas presents like that um, That lighting, um, the scorpion lighting. I remember being really impressed with that when I was a child. Um, Ted DiBiase used to have one that came out with um, with money signs. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I think exactly the same sort of time, wasn't it? 1995, you know, same same sort of era when DiBiase was managing people and would come out like you know, Austin, for example. He'd come out with Steve Austin with the million dollar man music and the money signs on the floor and that part of that stable he had, wasn't it? I suppose. Yeah, it was definitely, um, with the times, those, um, what do you call them? Are they, uh, kind of neon signs? Yeah, they're just, I suppose, I suppose they're just, they're just spotlights and they colored and shaped in a certain way, I guess. But yeah, it's, uh, it, it's quite simple, but quite effective. And Sting was very, very happy with his. Let's be fair. He looked over the moon about his little scorpions on the floor. You know, <laughs> oh, he did absolutely. Uh, yep, uh, Bubba here, and we've said it before on the show, I know, but for a guy his size, he's got absolutely no right to being able to move the way he does. He is superb. Uh, he hits an insiguri quite early on, for example. That again, a man of his size shouldn't be able to leave the floor like that. He, he's he's very quick on his feet, uh, across the ropes and, and throwing clotheslines and so on. There's a I suppose, for want of a better term, a stinger splash in the corner from Bubba that looked like it really knocked Sting for six. I mean, overall, I, I, I quite enjoyed this. It wasn't the greatest match in the world by any stretch of the imagination, but, you know, what's not to like? You're seeing Sting wrestle. Uh, you know, the boss man or Big Bubba is is also incredibly talented. I, I quite enjoyed this. What, what are your thoughts, Danny? Yeah, pretty much the same. I really enjoyed this match. Um, I just had one question for you, Sai. What is Big Bubba's character? No idea. <laughs> I really was struggling. <laughs> As I was watching this, I was thinking he came from the WWF with this clear character of a prison guard where even if he was a baby face or heel, everyone knew what his character was. Here, he kind of just looks like he's just rolled out of the office, but we don't know what he is. If Is he, no, is he a security guard or is he personal security or... I'm not exactly sure what he was, but he was impressive. Before he joined the WWF in the 80s, he worked as Big Bubba, uh, Big Bubba trailer and stuff like that all around the all around the place. And he featured on some shows. And I think he was Jim Cornette's bodyguard at one stage. I think. I mean, I'll have to go back and double check that. It might be my memories failing me there, but I believe that was one of the aspects of it. Then obviously he went to the WWF and they capitalized on his former career as, as a prison guard and turned him into the big boss man and so on. Then when he came back, he was dressed very, very similar to the big boss man and was basically told, yeah, you can't do that after a couple of weeks. So they had to change him again. And then he became the guardian angel uh, and then he became big Bubba again. And it, ch it changed back and forth quite a bit before eventually he went back to the WWF as the boss man in the sort of, almost a, a sort of precursor to what the shield would wear, I suppose. Now here in, in the black trousers and well, basically a black suit, isn't it? A black tie and, and white shirt and so on. It's very, very similar to what he wore when he was Cornette's bodyguard. As I picture it in my head, again, I'd have to go back and check that out. It's probably people shouting at their podcast players right now saying, saw you way off. But in my mind, without doing the research, that's kind of how I remember it, but it's been a little while. So <laughs> No, I'll, I'll definitely go back and have a look at that because, um, yeah, I'm interested to see what that character was. Mm, yeah. But um, in terms of this match, I, I, I was the same as you, a really enjoyable match. Um, 
I, I wrote this down again uh, for the second match in a row. I did think this was just going to be all Sting, but no, uh, Big Bubba got some moves in as well. Yeah. Yeah, it went a bit longer than I anticipated as well. Again, I suppose I'm going to contradict myself now because it felt like it went longer than I expected it to. But then the finish came out of nowhere. I wasn't expecting it. Yeah, it was something that I, I couldn't see coming as well. It was like the It was like a cradle, wasn't it, off the top rope? Yeah, exactly. I mean, Sting's on the top and Bubba pokes him in the eye. So Sting kind of half falls. Bubba kind of grabs him by the leg and the head and the arm. And it's almost like a cross between he's it's sort of a brain buster stroke, kind of fisherman suplex kind of effort. It looks like he's going for, but sting comes off the top rope and kind of rolls through this into a bit of a messy, bit of a scrappy inside cradle roll up kind of effort, but he gets the three game. So, I mean, again, I like matches that end not necessarily with a finishing move. I think the big matches and so on, yeah, it's great to see a finisher. But sometimes it's nice just to throw a match in that ends like this to show that when guys go for a cover after an ordinary move, so to speak, and I, I say ordinary very much in air quotes, but it's, you know, because a lot of these moves in theory should finish a match, you know, the DDT, for example, should be a finisher, but we'll get onto that another day. It's, it's nice to see matches end on those sorts of things and not just require a finishing move, you know? Yeah, it is. It makes the uh, viewers keep watching because um, you think, oh, he's only going to win when he hits his finishing move. But no, these, like you said, they could come out of nowhere. Yeah, yes, exactly. Something else that came out of this match, to be honest, that was a little bit out of nowhere, a little bolt from the blue from Eric Bischoff. We find out during this match on commentary, Hulk Hogan is suspended until the end of 1995 and maybe even after. Danny, how did that make you feel? I mean, honestly, Merry fucking Christmas. <laughs> it's a Christmas miracle. Um, they finally rewarded their fans of um, these people who are angry at seeing Hulk Hogan like us. Um, they, we finally got our Christmas present, haven't we? Yeah, he's not going to be at Starcade. He's not, well, he's obviously not at Nitro tonight. He's not at Starcade. He's, uh, when would the next Nitro be? That would be into January then, wouldn't it? 25th. Well, no. New Year's Day it would be, wouldn't it, I suppose? Yeah. Um, so. that, as as bad, as, as short as that is, it still feels, when you say till the end of 1995, the rest of 1995, it feels like a year that he's, be, that he's um, kicked out of suspended because um, it yeah. really is. I mean, the happiest person in all of this has to be the Macho Man, because at least he'll be free from the pay-per-view from seeing Hulk Hogan try and uh, shit all over his title reign. Yeah, that's it. I mean, we'll get to we'll get to Savage in a moment, but that's a really good point because here I think Savage looks like an absolute star, and he's not got Hogan kind of loitering around over. He's, he's not in Hogan's shadow, shall we say? But we'll get to that shortly. Uh, after this match, we have Mean Gene again, this time with his little Christmas hat. And he's talking to Luger and Jimmy Hart. And it's just a big promo about Luger being the uncrowned champion. And he's going to go to Starcade and win the, the triple threat. And then he's going to go on and win the world title and so on. And then randomly, we get Sergeant Pittman come out again, asking Jimmy Hart this time to be his manager. I mean, the previous, uh, previous time we spoke about this, it was Bobby Heenan. On this occasion, he's now asking Jimmy Hart. Jimmy Hart basically tells him to take his shirt off and says, look at Luger, look at you, no chance. And I was like, well, oh, mate, that's a bit harsh, isn't it? Body shaming in 1995. Here we are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but no, oh, um, I found this very interesting because um, Lex Luger's promo was very similar to last week's with me and Gene as well. It was very, so I was kind of getting bored. But then I perked up when I saw uh, Pittman come out because I was thinking, oh, this is something new. So when he came out, um, uh, sadly, he was like, just humiliated because um, I believe Pittman's a heel and he was kind of like emasculated here. Um, I mean, how do you recover from this? Oh, I imagine you go out next week and ask somebody else to be a manager. I don't know. I imagine that's where we're going. <laughs> um, I think that might be the plan. I'm, I'm not sure. Yeah. Or maybe he'll go to the WWF and ask some of their managers. Yeah, maybe. 
Uh, next up, we have, uh, and again, this 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 nitro. What was it? Fifty minutes long, forty nine minutes long, something like that. Anyway, it seems yet again they have crammed a lot in to that short amount of time. Coming up next, we have JL or Mister JL or Jerry Lynn, whichever is your preference, facing Dean Malenko. I'm not gonna lie. When they said when this graphic came up and said this is this is coming up next, I literally was I, was, I sat up. I was like, oh, hello, this is gonna be good. And it bloody well was, wasn't it? Absolutely, matcher than I. Um, this was, yeah. They, when they talked about, when people talk about WCW cruiserweights, this is what I like to see. Um, this was just a masterclass, really good match. Um, what did you think about it, Sai? Yeah, I enjoyed it too. I enjoyed it too. And the thing is, as well, it wasn't. Oh, I suppose again, we come down to the, the length of the show. It wasn't maybe given as long as you would hope, but they've squeezed a lot into this episode. If this was a pay, uh, pay-per-view opener and they gave it a good, I don't know, 14, 15 minutes or whatever, then it could have really developed into a fantastic, fantastic contest. Dean Malenko opens the match with, by drop-kicking JL from behind, which is an interesting start. And then the guys are brawling a bit. It goes counter for counter. And we see all the, the sort of step-overs, the roll-throughs, the, the, the hip-tosses that turn into their opponent landing on their feet and so on. It is brilliant. JL hits a splash from the apron to the outside on Malenko. Uh, it, it's just, it's just brilliant. I really, really enjoyed it. But then we get the, the, the finish again. It, it almost felt like, okay, they, they tried to fit in as much as they could. And then the finish came out of nowhere. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Um, I found it interesting finish though, because we don't see too. I mean, we saw, one earlier, uh, a submission finish uh, is something you don't really see a lot today. But on here in 1995, we've got two on the same show. Um, I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, basically, Milenko hits a... What would you call that? A gut buster off the top rope? It's like a backbreaker, but the, the, his opponent is the other way round, isn't it? And and his side breaker is going across. A side, side breaker, breaker is what they referred yeah, to That's it what as. they called okay. it on, on the comms. Okay, yeah, it's basically a backbreaker, but without... Your opponent lying across his back, across your thigh. It's like his this side into his stomach, isn't it? And he does this off the top rope, and it looked it looked amazing. Let's be fair. And then we get what was referred to on commentary as the Malenko leg lock, which I've not seen up to this point. I'm not massively familiar with it, and it looks like JL potentially gave up a smidge too early because when you watch the replay, Malenko rolls the move through hooks the leg with his legs or hooks the leg, sorry, with one of his legs on his arms. And then he's got to try and use the other leg to almost sort of hook his toes, but he can't quite get it. And then by the time he does sink it in, JL has already submitted. So I wonder if he maybe quit a moment too early. I'm not sure, Danny, what did you think? Yeah, there could have been a timing issue where the referee had got word from the back to just say, just finish the match, finish the match quick. We're running low on time. But yeah, it did seem like that. I noticed that as well, so. Mm, yeah, I still look, the hold looked great, to be fair. And Di Malenko is just bloody fantastic, isn't he? Yeah. Oh yeah, he really is. Um, I think, I don't think he used this finisher for long because when I think of Di Malenko, I think of the Texas Cloverleaf. That was his finisher. Yes. So um, he yeah, didn't that, use it. Yeah. Sorry, go on. No, no, I was going to say, he didn't use it too long after this, did he? This uh, Malenko leg lock. I mean, like you said, th- this is the first I was hearing of that finisher as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I was expecting the Cloverleaf, to be fair. I was expecting, I, I thought Malenko would win. It would make a lot more sense than, because I think Jerry Lynn is is not around much longer. I think he departs back to ECW soon. I'm not 100% sure on the timeline on that, but obviously Malenko is around a lot more and it's obvious by the way Bischoff talks on commentary and the way Milenko is being presented. He is high on Milenko here, Bischoff. He he likes Dean Milenko. So I was expecting Milenko to win the match and I was kind of expecting it to be won via submission, to be fair, because they're pushing Milenko being the man of a thousand holes, which is one of the first times we hear that saying on this this episode. I think not maybe not the first, but it's early days for that term. So I was expecting the Cloverleaf. That's what I, that's what I was expecting to see. But then seeing this other move i was like oh okay well that looks bloody great as well it did um i just wish he used it a lot more yeah yeah that's a good shape uh mean gene pops back up again um <laughs> this time he is with rick flair 
and Flair is basically doing, as you would expect from Ric Flair, a couple of days before a pay-per-view. He's talking about being the greatest and he's going to win another world title and he has to be world champion and, and so on. But this this whole interview is more, not so much to promote the pay-per-view, which it does do, because Flair does mention it straight away. It's more as a vehicle, I guess, to get Jimmy Hart out and involved. When I mean, Jimmy Hart turns up in the interview, Danny, and, and what goes on there? Well, Jimmy Hart um, offers to apologize. Well, first he apologizes to Ric Flair. Then he says he will manage Ric Flair tonight, which is, uh, I guess, is a one night only thing. Um, I kind of think when I was watching this, I was thinking, why wasn't Jimmy Hart Ric Flair's manager uh, more on a more permanent basis? That would have been a cool little pairing. What do you think, Si? Um, I, I, do you know what? I've never thought of that before. I don't know. I mean, timeline-wise, I suppose it never really added up. You think Flair was in the uh, NWA up to sort of late-ish 91, and Hart was in the WWF from, I suppose, when would he have gone in? 87, potentially, he was in the WWF from, maybe? Yeah. So those kind of years, they wouldn't have crossed paths because they're on separate sides of the fence, so to speak. When Flair came in in 91 to, to New York, to WWF, he was paired with Heenan. And then Flair was gone by January 93. And in that time, Jimmy Hart was very much aligning himself with Hogan in, in, in the run-in to WrestleMania 9 and so on. And then when Hart came into WCW, he was very much Hogan's right-hand man. Not as in just on-screen, he was like his, his real-life, shall we say, business manager. You know, it's a bit of a posh way of saying he just carried Hogan's cocaine around, but it was kind of what what he did. It was, you know, that was that was his role, and he was very much associated with with Hogan then. So they kind of were in different, I suppose, different sections of the show because you had Flair doing his thing with the Horseman and so on, and Hart with Hogan. Well, Hogan and Hogan and Flair obviously faced off early days when Hogan came in over the world title, and then they went their separate ways, and Hogan carried on with stuff with Vader and so on. Whereas, whereas. Flair worked elsewhere and went into his programs with Arl Anderson and leading into when we then started watching. So I suppose timeline-wise, it never really synced up for Jimmy Hart to work with Flair. I don't know. I mean, the managers that went with Flair in his career, obviously J.J. Dillon is the the one that's really prominent to me because he was was the manager of the Horsemen, so he was associated with Flair. That that worked because... Not that Flair or the Horseman needed a manager because they could all speak and so on. But on screen, it worked because JJ would let the guys speak for themselves as well as throwing a bit in himself and so on. In the WWF, Heenan was kind of... He's obviously playing a character, Heenan, similar to JJ Dillon, but he was very much a case of his character was he was a good manager and he knew what he was doing. The same as JJ Dillon. You may not like me, but you must at least admit I'm good at what I do. Jimmy Hart has always had this kind of over-the-top, brash, in-your-face character. I'm not sure if that would have worked well with Ric Flair, with Flair being so over-the-top and brash and in-your-face as well. It might have been too much, and there might have been a clash there between the pair of them. Again, we'll never really know, but that's the way I would view it. The guys who have managed Flair, even Mr. Perfect for a little while in, in, in 1992 and so on, the guys who have managed Flair played it very straight and very serious, whereas Flair was the over-the-top one. Uh, and Hart always tended to be the over-the-top one. And Jimmy Hart tended to go with people that didn't speak well themselves, I suppose. I mean, I don't know. And Literally, until this moment, Danny, it's never really entered my mind. It's a really intriguing point you make, my friend. Oh, thank you. Uh, it just pl- passed through my mind because it was like, as they were... I mean, Hart really did seem eager to manage Ric Flair tonight, but we all know it was because of the storyline. So, um, but yeah, you do make a great point. Thank you for explaining about that because I do remember um, Jimmy Hart was the manager of the Nasty Boys, who couldn't really talk either, could they? Well, I don't know. They they, they used to be, they used to cut promos on their own, and it, it may have been gibberish, but I always kind of bought into it. <laughs> but it was gibberish. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much, Danny. You ain't going to thank me. It's just literally my 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 opinions and my thoughts off the top of my head. I mean, it, I may be completely wrong. It may have been absolutely sodding brilliant if it did happen. I don't know, but it's just kind of what I, I thought at that time. 
plus Jimmy Hart's on TV enough. Do we really need him or somebody else? <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. I think maybe he was trying to get out of the Dungeon of Doom. Oh, yeah, maybe, maybe. I mean, in that scenario, then, you know, he's come out here and, and basically said to Rick, I owe you one. You saved my life because you didn't let uh, Savage, was it, whoever, you know, kill me with my tie last week on Nitro or something along those lines. So let me manage you this this evening. How gutted would you be now if you were Sergeant Pittman? Because literally five minutes ago, you were going up to Jimmy Hart and saying, hey, mate, do us a favour. Yeah. <laughs> he must have been at backstage just throwing furniture around, just angry, just being like, what the hell? I mean, just, yeah. I, I could have... I mean, oh, Flair, I would have Flair, been fuming. Flair's in shape, but he takes his robe off. He doesn't look like Lex Luger either. Let's be honest. You know, <laughs> Luger's shredded. So if that's the criteria for Jimmy Hart to manage you. I think he's being quite unfair to Sergeant Pittman here. Yeah, I, I think he really is. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, that ultimately that, that takes us to our main event, um, a rematch of the main event from WrestleMania eight, the, for the WWF world title back then, but here it is for the WCW World Heavyweight Championship between Ric Flair and Macho Man Randy Savage. Both come out to their music and their robes and their ring gear and so on, and just both look like stars, don't they? Savage looks amazing with the big gold belt, his, his green cowboy hat, his over the top crazy 90s wrestling gear. Flair's wearing the purple robe and just sort of arrogantly strutting down to ringside. Both look brilliant, don't they, Danny? Yeah, I mean, we talk about every week. Um, the fact that both were given four entrances, I loved. Um, this, like, just everything about this presentation was brilliant. And I think it was smart of WSW to say that Hogan had been suspended um, before this match because it left me um, with a thought of, oh, yes, Hulk Hogan's not going to run out. So I was excited to get into this match. Yes, no Hogan. It does It does change things, doesn't it? I mean, every Nitro we've watched, every pay-per-view we've watched, well, I say every, it's not, it's not been every single one, but just, you know, going back in general as a sort of stereotype as to what we've seen so far, everything has been Hogan heavy. And at this show, in Malenko versus JL, uh, Sting's on the card, Luger and, and you know Scotty Riggs looking good and the, the main event of Flair Savage all this sort of stuff it's just like a breath of fresh air because there is no there is no red and yellow anywhere there is no Dungeon of Doom nonsense anywhere I mean Jimmy Hart and Luger are on the show obviously but there's no mention of the Dungeon of Doom so it's considering where we've come from it just feels great to be away from that for a week it truly is Christmas though <laughs> <laughs> yes it is indeed it is indeed talk us through this match then danny my friend let's uh let's get your thoughts i mean my, my initial thought here was this is obviously at the end of two episodes of nitro being taped in the same place because the crowd at the very beginning of this seemed tired but you carry on w- w- what do we see here this was the perfect main event match it felt big time um there was a lot of the usual standard rick flair slash macho man uh tropes that as the kids today say um uh it was to me this was like this could have been put on a pay-per-view you mentioned this was the wrestlemania 8 main event this is not i'm not going to say this should have been the starcade main event because we've really got that but this could have easily been slotted in as a Starcade main event, and it shows that we're not getting this at Starcade <laughs> um, because uh, this was given 18 minutes, which I'm very shocked about. Um, mm. Yeah, I was just, but a really enjoyable match. Um, and like I said earlier, just not having ho- the fear of Hulk Hogan running in just made it all the better. But what did you think of it, Sai? And yeah, again, I, I, I agree. It's, it's It was given plenty of time. And these are two guys who really know what they're doing. You know, at, at this point in their career, they, they're very, they're incredibly established. Their main event is all over the world. They know what they're doing. Given that amount of time, it, it's a good match. It's, it's, it's a good match. It's two guys who, who are very talented, working together very well. We, we see um, 
again, the crowd quite quiet early on. Jimmy Hart interferes a great deal or just tries to, you know, just silly little distractions and so on. Uh, Flair is working Savage's bad arm a great deal with various hammerlocks and so on. It's, I mean, it's good, but it's not, it's not spectacular, which to me is, is again, quite perfect for what they're doing. If you're looking at WCW as an ordinary wrestling company, because if they did wrestle at the pay-per-view, you know, they could crank it up a notch. It, it's it's good enough to keep me watching and think this I'm enjoying this, but it's not a why wow, that was mind blowing. But again, these two guys I think are capable of just going up a smidge, which you potentially would see at a pay per view, maybe. Yeah, and I think the thing I always complain about on this show every week sir, is finishes. And to me, normally I would have complained about this finish, but because if we only have two days for the pay per view. I can see why they went with a, um, a not a screw finish, but basically Lex Luger runs in and it's kind of like he just attacks Randy Savage and it's kind of like, oh, this again. But no, I actually liked this finish because it keeps both strong, Ric Flair and Macho Man for the pay-per-view. What did you think? Of yeah, the and it makes sense. It, it makes sense, yeah. mate. It makes sense because Luger, Luger's involved in that triple threat. Obviously, Macho Man is there as, uh, I suppose, the title match with Savage is there as the prize for the winner of the triple threat. So Luger running in and doing what he's done two days before the pay-per-view, attacking Savage and so on. It makes sense. Now, in, in, I think it was last week, maybe, or the week after. Uh, sorry, last week or the week before. Hogan was running in in Savage's matches uh, and swinging a chair. And Hogan was stood tall at the end. And you're thinking, well, okay, you got Sting and Luger there. You've got Savage being rescued by Hogan. You've got Flair getting walloped with a chair. Hogan's the only one stood tall. He's not in the picture for Starcade. So why? Why are you doing that? You know? So here, it makes more sense going into the pay-per-view from a storyline standpoint than anything they've done beforehand, I guess. No, you're totally right. I mean, the, like we said it last week, but that Hulk Hogan run in last week should have been saved for when the cameras went off the air. Mm. Yeah. But yeah, they, they went true. with the right thing this week, definitely with no Hulk Hogan, um, because like you said, he was not, he's not even, he's not on Starcade. So why have him run out there? If, I mean, if you're just trying to do that to entertain the fans in the arena, that would have been a lot better. But this way, this week, hundred ten times better. Yes, yeah, exactly. I mean, the, the show then basically goes off the air with Sting and Savage arguing with each other, and you're still left wondering, you know, Flair, uh, Luger, Sting, who's going to win that triple threat? Uh, if, if they do win the triple threat and go on and face Savage, who's going to be the world champion at the end of Starcade? What's the relationship between Sting and Luger going into Starcade? They're facing off against each other, but they're also helping each other out and so on. Is Flair in trouble because he's facing, uh, effectively, is this going to be a triple threat or is it going to be a handicap match? And there's so many unanswered questions. And to me as a wrestling fan, I've got to the end of this Nitro and I'm thinking, I can't wait for the pay-per-view. Yeah, pretty much the same. But speaking of the pay-per-view side, I believe there's a question we've got to ask ourselves. No, 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 no. There's a question I've got to ask you. Oh. <laughs> Let's get this right. Sorry. Let's get this right. Because I can't remember anything at the best of times. So <laughs> yes, there is. With the pay-per-view upcoming, what we tend to do, people who are regular listeners to Nitro Nights will be fully aware, WCW has a habit of not telling us very much about what's happening on the undercard of pay-per-views. That may change very soon. We're, we're literally just about to step into 1996. So we're very early in our watchback. But so far, the few pay-per-views we've had, Danny and I have kind of joked that we don't get told anything that's on the card and we don't know until we press play on the WWE Network. So I've gotten into the habit of asking Danny, what's the card? What do you know about the pay-per-view? Our next episode of Nitro Nights will be covering Starcade 1995. That is the next WCW show in our watchback. It is the pay-per-view. So Danny, what do you know about the card at Starcade as it's our next show? Two matches this time, Sai, which is an improvement from just having okay. the main event. Um, I I, be I believe there was an Eddie Guerrero match announced the week before this, or the week before oh, that. Yeah. But 
not um not a lot um yeah just the two main events um how about yourself sir okay we've obviously got the triple threat and then the world title we know from, from today's episode of nitro that we've covered we know luger and sting and i think savage as well are all involved in the world cup of wrestling because they're facing off against new japan here aren't they and we we don't really find out much about the japanese contingent that are coming over i think somebody mentioned in a previous episode of nitro that chono was representing new japan but i can't remember who he's facing and like you're you're correct eddie guerrero is also facing uh taking part sorry and representing wcw so again we're getting more information but it's not a complete card is it it's not fully explained to us no um i think the the most shocking thing about that is this is not six days away this is two days away so i'm shocked that the full card wasn't announced well yeah we're not even going to get um we haven't even got the i suppose the the added step of saturday night WCW Saturday night, where we might find out more about the card. I'm not sure we do, but we don't have that. This is literally the the last show going into, you know, into Starcade. Now, the world title match being, you know, the triple threat and then the winner of the triple threat facing match man in the world title match, to me, is is a great selling point for the pay-per-view. It's intriguing. You know these guys are going to be on the card. This is a big issue that sometimes promoters, and especially Vince McMahon has with, one night tournaments like an old king of the ring format for example um quite famously mcmahon is not fond of king of the ring because you cannot promote the whole card you can't tell them what the final is going to be you just know it's these guys in the in the quarterfinals or whatever you kind of get around that a little bit with this because you know that savage is going to defend his title against one of these three guys so you've got the mystery aspect there which can be a bit of a hook to certain fans but then you've also got I suppose the mystery aspect kind of whittled down to just three options. So that's, and, and the storytelling going into this is intriguing. So to me, that's enough to sell this pay-per-view at the moment. Then you've got the added, I suppose, intrigue of this world cup of wrestling and new Japan coming in and facing off against WWE wrestlers. It's just odd to me that we don't know more of the undercard, but again, I suppose we covered it last week, didn't we? With regards to would WCW fans or casual wrestling fans in 95, really know who you know, uh, half the New Japan roster were, I guess. I'm, I'm going to stab at no. Yeah, I'm pretty much the same. I, I, would, I mean, they would not know who like, Masahiro Chono is or anything like that. Yeah, I'm going to give a shout out here as well to somebody on Twitter who, who follows the show and uh, tweets in every now and again. Classic Wrestling Review at Paul D. Matthews 78. They've let us know about kind of more to do with the New Japan WCW angle or World Cup, I guess, at Starcade 95. Uh, this individual here, Paul, explains there was a whole storyline around New Japan Pro Wrestling stroke WCW at Starcade 95. You wouldn't know it watching Nitro because it all played out on WCW Pro, <laughs> which, of course, why, why would you why would you take, put, you know, a big selling point for your pay-per-view? Why would you put it on your main TV show? Eh? Let's hide it away somewhere on, you know. Oh, dear. Wow. Apparently, Bobby just... Heenan. Yeah, it, typical WCW. Apparently, Bobby Heenan sold WCW Pro to Sonny Ono to use as a New Japan showcase. WCW themselves stepped in and said Heenan didn't actually have the authority. So the Starcade Tournament Stroke World Cup of Wrestling was WCW's compromise to appease Ono after Heenan had swindled him out of money. But they never mentioned the storyline on Nitro. So that makes wow. a little bit of sense as to why it's happening. But yeah, yeah. interesting M- aspects. So what we get. Mind blown. That is just That really should have been on Nitro because anytime Bobby Heenan's doing something like that is just quality television. Yes, yeah, exactly. And we got a few moments because of him sitting with Sonny Ono and talking with him and money exchanging hands, but nothing really explained to us. And obviously it was explained on Pro and didn't go any further than that. So, yeah, there we go. Wow. Danny. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look out for some of those clips on the internet now from Pro. Yeah. Okay, you crack on, mate. <laughs> I'm happy at the moment with just the nitros, but you crack <laughs> 
Uh, our hits, our misses, our plus points, our negatives, our woos, and our oh brothers, Danny. Woo! Brother, 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 brothers, brother. Woo! Brother. Do you want to go first or second this week, my friend? I'll go second this week, sir. Okie doke. We'll try and end the show on something positive, shall we? So I will give my O brother first. It's I, I, I feel horrible and bad saying this, but it's Mean Gene. It's just like I don't know. I don't know whether he has just irritated me this week, or or I've seen too much of him in our watchback, or whether because he kind of it irritated me when he kind of fronted Sting up a little bit. He kind of fronted up to Sting and said, you tell me the answer to this question. And yes, I am. And it, if it takes me to be an investigative journalist, that's the way. And he's like, don't do that, Gene. That's Sting. Shut up, man. You know? Do that to a heel. Fine. But don't do that to Sting. That's silly. Maybe that is what's irritated me. I don't know. But I mean, I struggled with an old brother this week. And I'm being a bit nitpicky in picking, in picking mean Gene Oakland, I think. I love Gene. But this week, he just kind of just got on my nerves a little bit. What's your old brother, Danny? Without a doubt, it was. Um, like I struggled with this as well because it was such a good show. But it was um, not knowing the Starcade cards um, because not just usual because that stuff's W standard. But I think because it's two days away from the pay per view uh, and we haven't got a full card was quite annoying. Mm-hmm. So that would be my old brother. But what is your woo say? My and this is again. I suppose it shows where I'm going to go with regards to our final rating of the episode. Uh, whereas I struggled for an O brother, and I ended up picking Mean Gene purely because I've got to put something forward, and he just got on my nerves a bit, but he probably doesn't really deserve it. Oh, sorry, Gene. God, God, that's just soul, you know. Woos were the other side of things. I struggled to pick one. I've literally got a list. I've got Dean Malenko versus JL. Brilliant. I've got No Hogan. Brilliant. I've got lots of wrestling this week. Brilliant. I've got loads here. I've got Scotty Riggs's performance in the opener. Brilliant. I've got, <laughs> I've got loads, mate. I've got loads. So I, I don't know. Just, just go down that list, Danny, and, and just pick one. I don't care because they're all, they're all excellent this week. What's your woo, my friend? Without a doubt, it's the effort that WWE made to deck out the um, commentators' table with Christmas um, joy. <laughs> <laughs> because I think I think um, we uh, fans today, or every fan today, will get too used to seeing um, LED screens on Raw or SmackDown or TNA or wherever. Um, and the fact that you could go back on the network and watch this where there was not an LED screen in sight, um, the fact that somebody had uh, gone up, gone to probably a local Kmart or something like that and got all these uh, Christmas decorations, really, it, it just set the tone for the whole episode. And then they yeah. they just gave us Christmas presents by having Hulk Hogan uh, not a part of this episode. So, yeah, that was my um, woo this week. So. There was no Hulk Hogan. There was no Kevin Sullivan. There was no Zodiac. There was no Yeti. There was no, oh, mate, just no Dungeon of Doom, no Hogan. Just great stuff. Merry bloody Christmas to us. Ah, <laughs> oh, there we go then. There we go. What are we deciding then? I think this is fairly predictable from my end, and I think you're going to be very, very similar as well. Hit, miss, or middle in, my, my friend? Where are we going? Definitely a hit. A big hit with this one. It was uh, a really good show to end uh, the year on, and um, it makes me excited for 1996. So what about you, sir? Totally agree. Hit all day long. And I'm the same as you. Looking forward to Starcade. Looking forward to the triple threat. Looking forward to the world title match. Looking forward to the New Japan guys facing the WCW guys. Because it's going to be something completely different to what we've seen up till now. So that's going to be fascinating. Going to see where WCW goes in 96 as well. Yeah, just a great show. A great go-home edition of Nitro before the pay-per-view. Even if they didn't tell us what the freaking card was. Yeah, just, just a great show. A hit, 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 mate. Big time. Awesome stuff. Okay, before we get out of here, I just want to let everybody know whereabouts they can find you and all your awesome shows and content online, my friend. 
Yep, you can find me on Twitter at Scottish Juggalo. Um, you can hear me on A Changing Attitude with the great Mags Ori and Tanner. You can hear me on here where I'll be with you, the great South Hell, next week uh, discussing Starcade. And you can also hear me on One Man's Meet with the great Chris Bellis where this week we'll be talking about the Punjabi prison. I don't know if you remember that, uh, Sai. Bloody hell, do I ever. I remember my biggest my biggest complaint about the Punjabi prison was you couldn't see anything. No, absolutely like not. You what, what was the point? You could. I understand they were trying to do something different, and I, I applaud that because wrestling can get so repetitive and samey, especially when it comes to to stipulation matches. You know, you know, elimination chamber has kind of been done to death now, and a cage match now kind of means nothing after the elimination chamber and Hell in the Cell came along. So Punjabi prison match, I appreciate something new. It's interesting. But then the fact that you had two big cages made of bamboo that crisscrossed all over the place, which meant that looking through one cage and then through the second cage into the ring, you couldn't see anything. That that was a bit a bit of a shit show, wasn't it? Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that uh, this week. <laughs> I bet, I bet. And I strongly recommend everyone goes and gives Danny a follow at Scottish Juggalo on Twitter so that when he retweets all these shows he's involved in, uh, one man's meet, especially looking back at some of the things in wrestling that people may have forgotten about or you know, whether intentionally or not may have forgotten about. Maybe you purposely swept it under a rug in your mind because it was that bad. It's well worth checking out because they discuss some some topics in wrestling that don't get discussed. And in the the podcast world, in the wrestling podcast community, it's incredibly difficult to find a subject that is not spoken about before. And it's incredibly difficult to effectively have a show with a format that is unique. And Danny and Chris manage it with One Man's Meat. So I strongly recommend people do go and check out that show. Thank you very much. My only complaint is, Danny, it only comes out once a month. Come on, lads, pull your finger out. You know, we want more. <laughs> definitely we've got to get on that yes there we go there we go ah you can find me on twitter at sjp words and you can find me on facebook uh there's a group there that you want to be a part of called sjp all the shows and info uh those are the two main focal points for points of contact with me whether you want to get in contact with me directly or ask me a question or discuss wrestling or point out how wrong i was about something that i said on one of my many shows or simply to check out the links to my many shows uh, wrestling wise obviously we have the show i'm doing here right now we also have chain wrestling which is live on a monday night via radio attackers and a podcast version comes out later in the week as well if you miss the live show on a monday if time travel and sci-fi and all that sort of geeky goodness is more your bag then by all means join me and dan griffin for the doctor who pod uh, that comes out on a weekly basis. We've just finished season one. Season two will be with you in a couple of weeks. In fact, season two may even have started by the time you hear this because we, talk, we like to get ahead of ourselves here on Nitro Nights. So you can you can check that out as well. And also, when it comes to time travel and old TV shows from my youth, uh, I have a big soft spot for the show Quantum Leap starring Scott Bakula and Dean Stockwell. And we cover that. Me and our good friend, Mr. Benny Mac, the Waiting Room podcast, looking back at Quantum Leap one episode at a time, out every Friday morning. But most importantly, you can find this show on Facebook and Twitter, at Nitro underscore Nights, at Nitro underscore Nights for this show. And again, at SJP Words for me and links to all everything else. Oh, there we go then, Danny. Next stop, Starcade. Excited? absolutely let's get into it next week awesome stuff i'm looking forward to it my friend i'm looking forward to it and to everybody else as always thank you for listening